The advice and opinions expressed by the host of Autism Live and her guests are meant solely as suggestion and should not be in any way construed as child-specific advice. The Center for Autism and Related Disorders advises working with a board-certified behavior analyst who has experience with autism before starting any intensive behavioral intervention. Any choices you make in determining your child's treatment are completely at your own discretion. Welcome to Autism Live. I'm Shannon Penrod, and we're webcasting to you live from the Center for Autism and Related Disorders headquarters in Tarzana, California. Can I just take a moment to say how thrilled I am and how grateful I am to be here this morning? You know how sometimes you just have that moment where you think, oh, you know how lucky am I that we get to talk about the things that we're going to get to talk about today? I just feel so privileged. I was reading some of the questions that you guys have written in overnight that we're going to be having Dr. Tarbox answer a little bit later on in this program. And I just had a moment where I thought, wow. I just, I'm so grateful that I get to be here and that I get to be with wonderful people like you and that I get to be with a wonderful guest that we're going to have on the show today and talk about the things that we're talking about. I just feel very fortunate and lucky. So I just want to take a moment. You know, it's important to say those things sometimes. So I thank you for being with us. I thank you for participating with us because it helps us. What you guys bring to the show helps us. It helps me to learn more as a parent and hopefully, and I hear from you guys that we are making a difference for you and I hope that that's true. That's really what our purpose is here, which brings me to my next point, which is that this whole show is interactive and that we really do encourage you to participate in the way that feels best for you. There's no wrong way or inappropriate way to uh, participate, but we hope that you will let us know when you need something, because that's really what we're here to do is connect you with things, information, people, names, services, resources to help you to get to where you want to get. Because here's the thing. We know that there's lots and lots of support that's out there. It's definitely not enough. We're not done. But we should be taking advantage of what is there, right? We should all be. So I want to help you to connect to those things that are already there. And in doing so, I learn a lot along the way. You guys are teaching me and I appreciate you so much. But in any case, Emily's going to cycle through some of the different ways that you can get in touch with us here and some of the different ways that you can watch the show. I will remind you, as always, that our homepage is autism-live.com. When you go there, there's a lot of things to do on that page, not the least of which is signing up for our free newsletter. I hope that you'll do that and I hope you'll share that information with people that you meet on this journey as well because not everybody knows about us we're the little show that could uh, and help connect people to us so that they we can connect them to other things as well but uh, also on that home page you'll see that it looks like a desktop I really love uh, the design of our because it looks like a really nice desktop not as clean as uh, it's cleaner than mine in real life mine has piles of paper but uh, there's a computer screen there there is a triangle on the computer screen depending on what your server is. Uh, sometimes it'll just automatically start to play, but sometimes you have to click on that triangle to get it to start. Uh, you can be watching the live show or the most recently recorded show. As soon as we finish a show, it automatically goes into the loop and you can be watching it fairly immediately. But you can also click on the playlist icon up in the corner of that screen to cycle through and say, hey, I want to see what else I could watch. There's lots of things there. Now to the other side of the screen, there's a series 
series of white boxes that says Shannon is answering right now, which I always find hilarious because it's usually not me answering the question. It's usually our guests, but sometimes it's me. So, uh, and then below that, it says your question. So put your cursor in that box, start typing, hit enter, and it will be sent up into space and then beam down to me. That takes about a minute and a half, two minutes. So we encourage you to ask your questions early in a segment uh, so that it gets to me before we're done with the segment. Um, but keep in mind that it's free. All that traveling up into space and shooting back down to us, totally, totally free to you. And we don't even know who you are, which is lovely. Sometimes it's lovely to be anonymous so you can ask the question you really want to ask without feeling like anybody's judging you. Believe me, nobody's judging you here. Oh, please. Uh, <laughs> because uh, I love it when you guys ask questions because either it's something that I go, ooh, this is great because this, I, we love to hook you up with a resource with this, or I think, I've never asked that question before. I never even thought about that before. So uh, we encourage you to ask those questions. It is free. You don't, there's no login. There's no credit card being taken for, you know, 22 days from now. There's none of that. It's totally free. Um, but here's the one rub about it. We don't know who you are. We don't know where you are. And the more information you give us, the better we can help you. If you want us to get back to you about something personally, then you need to give us something, some way to get a hold of you. We do not share that with the audience at home. So, uh, uh, give us as much information as you can and that you feel comfortable with. There's no obligation to give us your email at all, but you can feel free to do that. All right. Um, I also like to start the show by reminding you that though we have a lot of experts on the show and we really try so hard to get you as many experts as we can. And my head is dizzy right now, uh, making up the schedule for next week. We've just got an incredible lineup, you guys, and it's still in the works. So, um, we have lots of those people on the show, but I always like to remind you at the start of the show of a couple of different things. A, I am not an expert in the field of autism. I'm a mom. Uh, my son was diagnosed with autism at the age of two and a half. In that moment on that day, I really had no idea what was going to happen to us. I was completely at a loss. Uh, what I knew about autism, you couldn't have filled a thimble with. And I have learned many things along the way. And I learned a lot of them from parents and a lot from experts. But I make it my mission to pay forward the fact that I got information. I want to hook you up to information because I know what it meant to us. My son is now 11 years old. And he is brilliant and verbal, and I didn't know that that was ever going to happen, and I can have conversations. He's, you know, I mean, he's his own person, and he's he's got his little quirkiness. He's still on the spectrum, but I say he gets better every day in terms of the disabling aspects of the disorder, um, and I'm grateful for that. So I want to pay that forward to you so that you, whether you're a parent, teacher, practitioner, have the information to be able to help that individual in your life, or if you're the person who's on the autism spectrum, I want to help you to get all the things that you want in life. And I know that for each one of us, that's something different. That is not a one size fits all, but you're entitled to it all the same, all the things that you want. You're entitled to the, to the ability to make progress as are all of us. And I wanna be able to hook you up to those resources that can help you to do that. It's a good mission to be on. I, I'm quite comfortable with it. So join me here and encourage other people to watch the show too. And please, please participate. Okay, the other thing that I like to remind you of, and I don't remind you enough, is that even though we do have experts on the show, nobody can give individual specific advice, right? That would be a disservice to the individual, but we can point you in some directions, um, which is a really good thing. Okay.
So we like to start every morning with something we fondly refer to as the jargon of the day. Yes, the jargon du jour. This is when we take on one word, one phrase, one acronym. We try to make sense of it by giving you the actual definition, which sometimes has even more jargon, makes you want to pull your hair out sometimes. Um, and then we give you a working definition to really try to give you a user-friendly term. Sometimes that makes our experts break out into hives because it's not completely accurate, but you know, you got to get an idea of what we're talking about. We have to crawl before we can run, right? So uh, that's what we do. And I find that when we understand the jargon terms, we save time and money. And hey, when we're trying to make progress, time and money are very valuable tools. So here we go. Our term for today, one of my favorites, it was, I think it was my first autism jargon term besides autism uh, that I ever had to learn. And it is antecedent. Uh, what? <laughs> An antecedent. Okay, so let's take a look at our actual definition for antecedent. Antecedent is anything that occurs or is present immediately before the behavior of interest. Okay, all right, that I understand all those words, but what does that really mean in my life? Um, and so we go on to our working definition, and it's what happened before. Okay, we talk about ABA, Applied Behavior Analysis, and learning the principles of ABA because ABA is something, honestly, I believe it's something we should start teaching the principles of ABA in kindergarten. In some ways we do, but mindfully teaching the, the principles of ABA because ABA is something, it's a science about behavior that helps to make things, all things better. And it just so happens that it works in the field of autism too. But when we look at, at ABA, the principles of ABA, we start to talk about a, a three-term contingent or what I like to simplify down to the ABCs of behavior. So we talk about A, the A stands for antecedent, B, the B stands for behavior, and C, the C stands for consequence. Whenever a behavior happens, there's always an A, a B, and a C, because behaviors don't happen in vacuums. Something happens and it triggers a behavior. And then when the behavior happens, there is a consequence for the behavior. And this is true of everything in all of our lives. Uh, that when, you know, I, the example that I always used, like to use, because it's really, really easy, because it, it happens every single day, there's a moment in time when you're in a room and the light changes enough that you decide to get up and flick on a light switch, right? So if we think about the AB of that behavior that we're all engaging in. So what happened? You were sitting there and you were doing something. Maybe you were typing a letter, but something happened and you had this desire to get up and go turn the light switch. What was it? Was it mom yelling from outside the room saying, hey, you're going to go blind. You know, don't sit in the dark. And that's what got you up. So that would be the antecedent in that case. Was it that the light shift enough that your eyes were starting to strain and so you had a moment inside internally when you went I'm uncomfortable so I'm gonna go you know uh, flip, flip the light switch or was it something else and for every day it might be different what the antecedent is but there is always an antecedent there's something that happens and then the behavior happens and what's the consequence for the behavior 
Well, in our example, the consequence is that, you know, you did the behavior of turning the light switch and the light came on and you went back to doing what you were doing. So in the first case where the antecedent was mom yelled from the other room and said, you're going to go blind sitting in the dark. Don't, you know, strain your eyes like that. In that case, the consequence was mom yelled back and said, good job, or mom stopped yelling at you. <laughs> Right? Um, and in the other example, when it was just that you were feeling uncomfortable and you turn on the light switch, then you got more comfortable. So there was a consequence for that behavior. Well, it just so happens that all behaviors have these ABCs. So the antecedent is what happened before. And when you start to look at challenging behavior, particularly for people on the autism spectrum, and something happens, right? And you, you know, it might be that you witnessed it and you go, oh, well, my son had a tantrum. And you're talking to somebody about it. You're saying it was horrible. It was just absolutely devastating. And this and happened. But when you start to realize that tantrums don't just happen in a vacuum, tantrums are a form of communication. And we start to say, what happened right before? What was the antecedent to this tantrum? Was it that you asked him to pick up his toys? Was it that his brother slapped him? Was it that somebody came in and turned on the TV? Was it that somebody took a toy away from him? Uh, you know, what was it that happened right before that triggered the tantrum? When you start to think of it in those terms, it is like one of those crazy paintings that they used to have that were big in the 90s that, you know, you look at it, it looks like just a bunch of designs, but you stare at it and then all of a sudden you see shapes and you go, oh my gosh, that was there the whole time and I wasn't seeing them. That's what realizing what the antecedent does for behavior, you go, oh my goodness, that behavior isn't random at all. It happened because this happened. And then you start to look at what the consequence is and you go, oh, and look at what the consequence was. Is it something that's more likely to make that behavior happen again or less likely? And you begin to have power because quite honestly, as a parent and as a former teacher, I can tell you that so often we look at a behavior and we go, we hone in on the behavior and go, I want to change that behavior. I don't care for that behavior. That behavior is not working for me. I want to get rid of that behavior. And that's all we focus on, right? The example that I always use is the kid who's sitting on the stool and he's banging his foot on the counter underneath. And you go, stop it. Stop doing that. Don't do that. Don't do that. Because we're crazy people and we think that's going to work, even though we know it's never worked, to say, knock it off. Stop it. Don't do that. Stop it. And then we yell, stop it, right? And maybe that stops it for a second, right? But then it will start again, right? Because we have very little power over actual behavior. What are you going to do? Tie the feet together? What, you know, what, what do you have at your disposal to actually stop somebody from doing a behavior? You can beg, you can plead, you can threaten, you can offer them a reward for it, right? But the actual behavior, you don't have a whole lot of control over unless you can physically restrain somebody and who wants to do that. But the thing about it is, is that you do have control over antecedents. You can change the equation by changing the antecedent and you have control over the consequence of it. That if somebody's doing something just to drive you crazy, they're poking you, poking you, poking you, and every time you go, ah, it's making me crazy, they enjoy it. Well, if you stop having the reaction, which is the consequence, it's going to shape their behavior. So antecedent is so important. And uh, as a parent and as a teacher, 
I gotta say, it was a big, big mind shift for me about, okay, what is happening right before this behavior? And I, I've shared this before that whenever I go to school and they say, oh, something happened today, and I always say, what happened? And they'll say, oh, well, this and this and this. And, and then my next question is always, what happened right before? because it's going to inform or earlier this year uh, the teacher said oh we had a problem today this one student and your son uh, got very upset and broke his pencil and you know this is shocking to me this is personal property this is not okay and I said what happened right before and she said I don't know and so I started quizzing my son and she was quizzing the other boy and what we found out was that the other boy had a fidget toy um, that somebody had given him and it was a play-doh toy and he was having fun with it and he touched it to my son who's been trained to know that those kinds of things have gluten and my son said to him stop it don't touch me and the other boy had no idea that it was a big deal to him it was just you know to him it's just play-doh and my son said don't touch me with that thinking you know this is unsafe for me and the boy kept doing it and so my son broke his pencil not acceptable but it i have a much better idea of how to deal with the problem than just saying don't break other people's pencils you know that's not going to work because he thought that he was in imminent danger so knowing what the antecedent is i know how to go about framing the conversation with my son to say you know what do you do when somebody does that what do you need to say to somebody to protect yourself and is it a 10 on the alarm scale or is it a two on the alarm scale and i and so there's no more pencils breaking if i had just said don't break people's pencils he would have said okay but the next time the kid touched him with play-doh he would have broken his pencil again so antecedent so important and we'll talk more about that um, throughout the show and, and through most shows. Okay, but we, I, we, I'm taking so much time on this. All right, so let's move on to our question of the day. Uh, we always ask you guys a question. We love it when you check in on Facebook. So uh, I want to know from you today, if you could help anyone, who would you help and why? What would you do if you just had carte blanche? I always love that joke where uh, the woman's walking along the beach and she sees uh, a lamp, like, you know, a genie in a lamp thing, and she rubs it, and sure enough, the genie comes out and says, you can have one wish. What would you, what would you wish for? And she says, oh, my goodness, what will I wish for? Um, I know, thin thighs. And the genie says, are you kidding me, lady? You know, there's so many things wrong with the world. There's so many people who are starving. There, you know, there's strife. There's all these things, and, you know, you want something that's just for you? Are you kidding me? And she thought about it for a second and she said, yeah, you're right. I want thin thighs for everyone. Um, right. But, uh, if, if you could help one person, uh, who would you help and why? It's a pretty fun kind of thing to think about. And, um, I, I would have a terrible time picking, who uh, to help and why, but I think I have a good idea of who I would help because it's somebody who helps so many other people. So, uh, and I'll just leave it at that. Uh, but uh, it's a fun kind of thing, thing to think about. Oh, if I had the power, and of course what it does for me is it frees up, well, you know, I have the power every day if I choose to, to help people. And so uh, this doesn't have to be a far away fantasy. I can help somebody today if I choose to. And then that gets empowering. So I hope that you guys will write it in and say who you could help if you could help anyone. All right, we always have a topic of the week and our topic this week, if you haven't figured out already, is we're talking about making a difference. How we 
can all make a difference for ourselves, for our families, and for our community and our world. How do we show up in our lives to do something that makes a difference for somebody else? It's a really fun topic because, as we've talked earlier in this week, whenever you do something for somebody else, it doesn't matter how bad things are for you, right? If things are just horrific and you think, man, I can't go another step further. But if you take that energy and you find a way to do something for someone else, there's something about it that turns around. It just empowers you. It helps you to realize that everything we've talked with Evelyn Gould a lot about how sometimes we get into looking at something and seeing like tunnel vision. It's just seeing, oh, look, there's that bad thing. I can see it right there. There's that horrible, horrible thing. And yet we can't see all the good things that are around that thing that we're seeing through the tunnel vision and doing something for somebody else broadens that view and goes, look, look at all these things. And I'm more than what somebody else thinks of me. I'm more than what I thought I was this morning, I'm capable of doing things and making a difference on this planet. It's a very, very fun topic. So we're going to be talking about that some more. We've got some guests that are making a difference. So in just a few minutes, we're going to have, we taped yesterday an interview with Jim Cober. I've talked to you guys a little bit before about the autism site and the autism site is brought uh, to you uh, by an organization called The Greater Good. You want to talk about making a difference. They're making a difference on a lot of different fronts. So in just a few minutes, we're going to play that interview for you and we're going to encourage you to check out the autism site. It's a really cool site, but also check out all the different things that they have at The Greater Good. Um, because they have lots of different subjects. And, and as we know, those of us who have autism in the family, there's other things too. We've all, we've got other things going on as well. And I think you'll be amazed at how many things that they're making a difference on. Uh, then we've got a little bit of autism news later on in the program. And I'm so thrilled that we have a little bit later on in the second hour, Dr. Jonathan Tarbox will be with us. We call that science beat because he is somebody that often helps us to take apart research to figure out what exactly we're talking about. And today, in particular, we've got a lot of questions from viewers that we're going to rapid fire ask Dr. Tarbox. So if you've got something, you don't have to wait until next week for uh, Dr. Doreen. You can be writing in right now with a question for Dr. Tarbox. So all of that and ever so much more. Uh, Emily, do you want to go right to the, the, no. So we're going to take a break and we're going to come back after these messages. Hello there, fellow activist. You're an activist because you're making the world a better place for someone living with autism. Now on Autism Live, you learn all about your children. You learn about their bodies and their brains. But this empowerment moment is all about you. It's about your heart and your soul. Now don't worry, I'm not gonna have you start singing Kumbaya or doing chanting. Let's talk about blessings. One of the blessings of living with a child with autism is learning to love them unconditionally. Learning to love them despite all the ups and downs, all the sacrifices. In fact, you learn to love them more so because of them. I call this my empowerment prayer. God grant me the wisdom to see my disability as an opportunity, the courage to love my child unconditionally, and the faith to live a life of purpose. 
So going from the sublime to the ridiculous, I have a little song for you today. It's a rap song, so I know that an old or, okay, middle-aged white woman rapping just doesn't seem right, but I'm gonna go for it anyway. My style is a little like Nicki Minaj meets Dr. Seuss. Nancy's Autism Rap. It's just a diagnosis, your life's not over. Don't lay there like a dog, get up, Rover. You say your head is spinning with GFCF, ABA, IEPs, and neurofeedback? Autism tough, that much is true, but you'll survive because you're you. Your life's not over, it's just begun, so walk out that door and go be someone. More Dr. Seuss than Nicki Minaj. Until next time. Stay strong and keep the faith. We have a very special guest who's joining us via Skype right now, Jim Kober, who is the program excuse me, manager at greatergood.org. We're very excited to have him with us. We've been talking to you a lot about a really wonderful site called the Autism Site that shares lots of information and lots of hope. And uh, Jim is with us to talk not only about the Autism Site, but about their parent company, greatergood.org. So first of all, Jim, we want to welcome you to the show. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited to be here. Well, we're really impressed with what you guys are doing, and, and we want to talk about both the Autism Site and Greater Good, but let's start with Greater Good. What is the mission of Greater Good? Sure. So the mission of Greater Good, um, you know, we're really devoted to improving the health and well-being of people, pets, and the planet all over the world. I, I, I love this mission, and I have to say that, you know, I, we found you, and, and I found you through the autism site, because, of course, that's of interest to us. But in, in, in saying, looking at the site and saying, this is a remarkable site that's a great, great resource that you just share so many different things, and then wanting to know who's behind this, because we wanted to get in, co in contact with you guys, and seeing the vast array of things that Greater Good covers, that it's not only just the autism site, but you have a site for diabetes, you have mm -hmm. a site for... Uh, breast cancer you have a site for animal welfare for veterans I mean the list goes on it's sort of anything that is a worthwhile cause you guys seem to be doing a really good job of covering yes yeah, certainly and we uh, continue to try to build that up I think right now we have um, 11 causes um, amongst uh, those that, that have you named and of course you know one is the autism site and those are through uh, through greatergood.com um, our partner greatergood.com we're the charitable partner of of uh, greatergood.com um, well Jim maybe let's talk a little bit about the charitable part of that because not only are you having these wonderful sites that provide all this information right. but you're taking it a step further so tell our viewers how you do that yeah, so there's a few different ways. Um, greatergood.com is a click-to-give site, so folks can come to any of our site verticals there, whether it's the autism site, the animal rescue site, or the hunger site, uh, to name a few, and they can uh, click on the click-to-give button, and that's for free. And um, as we add those clicks up, the, the, our advertisers give us money for those clicks because they know that their ads have been seen. And then we take all that money that we get from the advertisers and we give that all back um, to our charitable partners. 
Really, really remarkable. I, I, I think it's a, a great idea because it, it gives an opportunity for people to get information. And while they're doing that, they get to give back to the charities that they would most be interested in giving to. So it's remarkable what you guys are doing. You're, you're very aptly named. You're for the greater good. I love it. Uh, let's talk a little bit about autism in particular. So mm -hmm. uh, you guys are a great resource, the autism site. But again, when people go there, if they click, where is that money going? How are you supporting? individuals with autism right so we have um, I think right now between uh, five to seven autism partners and so if you go to the um, the gifts that give more well as far as to answer your first question to where the click money goes we have a few different partners that are set aside as click partners and they receive those click funds um, the click funds for the autism site are set aside to um, to pay for therapy um, for uh, people with autism. There's also our Gifts That Give More program that is featured on each of our site verticals, including the autism site. And there we have listed, all our partners are listed, um, and we built fundraising pages for each of them. Some of them have more than one fundraising page. Each page is uh, raising money for a certain program. Uh, that might be raising uh, money for you know therapeutic family play sessions. Um, for behavior therapy for autism and military families kind of goes on there's one where you can uh, donate to help uh, children with autism with speech therapy so folks can you know go to the gifts that give more page and and find a program that uh, is important to them they can read the story behind it um, behind the partner and uh, see the pictures they can donate and then we also get feedback from the partners we get stories and pictures that we provide back to the audience so they can see how their money uh, made a difference well, it's absolutely remarkable, and I'd like you to take just a second, Jim, and tell people how, what the site is that they can go to specifically for the autism site and where they can go for greater good. Sure. So for the autism site, you can go uh, one of two ways. You can just go to the autismsite.com. Um, or you can go to greatergood.com and uh, click on the autism site vertical there. And uh, for greatergood.org, we do have our own website that lists some of our signature programs as well. Um, and those are really the two great resources. And so if people want to get involved, they can start by just visiting the sites, taking in the information and clicking and see what there is. I notice, for instance, Jim, that there is a store on the yeah. autism site that sells some of the coolest stuff I've ever seen. There's a jacket that's on my birthday list. Oh, uh, is it? <laughs> It's, yeah, that's a good one. I've seen that one. It's a beautiful, beautiful jacket. There are some things. I mean, we've all seen some of the run-of-the-mill things that are out there for autism, and, and some of them are, are really beautiful. But I really want to say that you have some stuff I haven't seen anyplace else. Well, we, re we really appreciate that. And, um, you know, that's just another component of trying to raise awareness, you know, through selling cause-related merchandise. Um, and a portion of every sale of anything on greatergood.com goes back to the charities. Well, I just want to thank you for the great job that you're doing. I think it's remarkable. Anytime you see somebody do something and do it well, and it has a benefit for a lot of people, uh, it's very exciting. And you guys are certainly getting it done. We really appreciate you. We want to let people know greatergood.com and greatergood.org. And of course, Autism Site. You've got to check it out. Great, great stories. Uh, and I would also thank you. You featured us from time to time on that site. and We appreciate that because uh, we're always trying to let people know information as well. So we thank Absolutely. you so much for being with us this morning, Jim. Oh, it's been a pleasure. Thank you for having me. And keep up the good work. Thank you. You too. 
All right, thank you. That was uh, fabulous Jim Cober, and we're going to take a pause and be back with more Autism Live after these messages. Hi, this is Lee Sackerman back again at Talk of Facts. Wanted to share with one of the most popular questions that we get, and that is, do children with autism recover? I don't know how to say it loud enough. Yes! Scream it from the mountaintops. We've seen it and witnessed it for over a decade at Taka, thousands of children that lose their diagnosis. They become indistinguishable from their peers following therapeutics and medical intervention. And in 2013, the NIH, the National Institute of Health, agreed. They studied children uh, that had an autism diagnosis and did an in-depth analysis and yes, so showed that children with autism actually can recover. And what I'm so excited about is the odds are in your favor. The study concluded that 10 to 20% of children with autism will recover after intensive early intervention and therapeutics and medical intervention. You may be thinking, wait, wait, 10, 20%, that doesn't seem like a big number. Let me tell you why it is. For decades, we've been told autism is a no hope, nothing you can do. And what we know today is, yes, there is hope. So now that people know that recovery is possible, it's actually an option that can happen for families that you know, put what they can into the journey and God willing, get their kid through the other side so they can live their lives in a beautiful way. I'm excited to share with you that recovery is possible. So now we can all shoot for that together. Welcome back. Okay, lots to talk about here. So first of all, you saw the interview with Jim Cober. So I hope that you'll check out Greater Good and you'll check out the autism site. You know, one of the things he talked about are those click-throughs that when you go to the site and you get it out, it says, you know, click here to donate money. And then, then, and then what literally what happens because you know you think well how is money going to go there but every time somebody clicks it it lets potential advertisers know people are watching this and people care and they're willing to pay to advertise on the page so that's how that works and it goes to autism treatment so you know definitely check that out and definitely check out their store love some of the stuff they have there really really so we thank Jim Cober we thank the greater good and we thank the autism site uh, and then you just saw Lisa Ackerman from Taka uh, we love Love Lisa, bless Lisa, uh, and Lisa was supposed to be with us this week, but she had other things to do. And sometimes, you know, I just want everybody to know that uh, we have guests that are sometimes lined up to the show, but they are people who are working in the field of autism and helping other people. And sometimes that means they can't be here, and sometimes it means they can't be here last minute. And you know, bless them. Uh, so anyway, we send our our love off to Lisa, and I'm glad that we just aired that segment because we had a question that came in overnight. It said, "Hi, Shannon, I." Recently I recently visited a biomedical doctor for my son who has autism. She recommended a lot of supplements for my son and it's overwhelming. She highly recommended chelation to remove heavy metals, nagalase shots for his white blood cells, and now naltraxone cream for self-injurious behaviors. Honestly, I'm not familiar with any of these treatments and I'm afraid to try them. Do you or any of your viewers have any experience with these treatments? Thank you. I just want to hear from a parent and they sent their email address. Okay, so 
what I want to say to you is I, you know, I am right there with you. The whole biomedical thing overwhelms the you know what's out of me. And so here's what I want to encourage you to do. It's good to ask questions. You should never take on face value what anybody says to do because you really, it is up to you as a parent to research and know whether it's something that is appropriate for your individual child. And I really encourage you to find out, you know, what is right for you. Like if this is just things that they prescribe to every single patient that they come in or is this for your particular child and was it based on blood work that they pointed to and said hey here is why this and here's the study to go with this you really have to do your research right um and that's overwhelming as you said so i really want to encourage you to get a taka mentor yay um taka is an amazing organization you just saw lisa on the show and you can go to tacanow.org to find out more about them but lisa started uh, Taka as a parent who needed to know more information and wanted to get information from other parents and to say to people, have you seen this? Do you know about this? Um, and it has grown into this beautiful, beautiful organization. And one of the many things that they have, in addition to having resource guides, is that they have a Taka mentorship program. These are parents who have been there, done that, and gone through training to be able to help you on your biomedical journey so that you've got a sounding board that you can call somebody up and it doesn't cost you anything and you call them up you get assigned a mentor who's right for you and you call them up and you say hey i went to the doctor or i'm going to the doctor and i want to know like how do i organize my stuff so i get the most because it's expensive so expensive um you know, and then I got the test results back and what does this mean? And she says she wants to do a heavy metal chelation and she wants to do it in this way. And, and when I say to you guys, this is important stuff. There are treatments that are out there that are available to our kids that can help them in their progress that they might need medically. And there are some treatments that are out there that are not tested and you need to know the difference between the two. You need to talk to somebody who's been through it to understand that if this happens, then I need to do this. This is serious, serious business. So I want to encourage you to get one of those free talk of mentors. Go to TACANow.org. You'll have a sounding board. You'll have somebody to talk to. You'll be hooked up to a wider uh, group of people who have done these kinds of treatments. And I will tell you that, um, you know, we went to a doctor who wanted to do have a heavy metal chelation. And I personally, for my child, after looking at his test results, did not feel that that was right for my child. And it scared me. Uh, I know other people that have done it under specific doctor care, under very specific constraints. I did not want to do it. So I, that was my particular choice. The other things that you're talking about, I am not familiar with. So um, you want to be talking with, now if Lisa were here today, Lisa would have many things to say about these things and she is an encyclopedia of knowledge as are so many of those taka parents and, and those taka mentors who are trained to do that so that's available to you i hope that you will use that we're going to take a break and come back with more of autism live after these messages Welcome back to Smarty. Today we're going to be making homemade glow-in-the-dark bouncy balls. So let's get started. The materials you'll be needing are two mixing bowls, something to stir with, measuring spoons, borax, cornstarch, water, glue, and glow paint and food coloring. 
So step one, you're gonna take one of your measuring bowls and you're gonna measure out half a teaspoon of borax, four tablespoons of cornstarch, and four tablespoons of water. Then you're gonna mix that all together. I'm gonna set this aside. In another bowl, I'm gonna mix my glue and my glow-in-the-dark paint and any food coloring I wanna use to make it a special color. two separate bowls with the mixtures in them. Now I'm going to put them together, letting them sit for the next 15 seconds, and then I'll stir them together. It's important that you let them sit for a moment before stirring so they can do their magical thing. Now that the 15 seconds is over, I'm going to stir together the mixture, making sure to stir thoroughly until I can no longer do it anymore. You'll see what I mean in a second. Now that I can no longer stir it, I'm going to start rolling around in my hands to make a ball. And voila, very own homemade fancy ball. Woo! Well, I hope you had fun with this activity today. Until next time, drop down, guys. Can you see me flying by your side? Welcome back to Autism Live. We've been talking this week about making a difference and how important it is for each one of us to make a difference. I wanna start by saying that, you know, you can't give away what you don't have. So the first thing that we always have to do is take a look at, are we giving to ourselves? And are we giving to our family? Because again, you know, it's sort of my mantra, we can't give away what we don't have, right? And when we do try to give away, when we don't have, what it leads to is resentment. So first start by asking yourself, have you been kind to you? Last week we did a whole week on taking care of self, how important that is, how important it is that we model that for our kids. So you gotta ask uh, if, if you wanna give time. T donating time is a really important thing to do. Uh, lots of people will donate money and that's fine. There's nothing wrong with don donating money, but donating time is a really valuable resource as well. But if you're going to donate time, do you actually have the time to donate? And ask yourself, would you got to start with home first? And I know it feels counterintuitive, and we go, oh, but I have to, I have to be the person that gives and gives and gives. But if you ask yourself, could my family benefit from one more hour of my time this week, and how can I make that happen? That's the first best place to start to make. A difference and I think you'll find that if you donate that hour to yourself and to your family it will it will grow exponentially and then you will have time to give to another organization so once you've done that once you feel that okay I've given to my family I've given to myself and now I want to pay it forward and I want to expand I want to make a difference I want to give my time in some way to someone and perhaps it's somebody who's on the autism spectrum perhaps it's somebody in our community, but it could be something else. And I would ask you to first examine and think to yourself, what do I have at my disposal? So you don't have to go create something, you don't have to go learn something, but what are you good at? What's your niche? I love meeting people in the autism community and seeing what their mission is and seeing how it uniquely fits them. You know, uh, Nancy Allspot Jackson and I will go someplace together and people have referred to us as the Lucy and Ethel of autism. I am the Ethel. I want to be very clear about that. She is the Lucy. <laughs> She's a wild woman, and I'm always saying, we can't do that, we'll go to jail. Uh, we have to be in line for the carpool at three o'clock, Nancy. So
So, uh, in any case, uh, it's very interesting when we both look at our journey, how we found our individual niches in autism. And it's fascinating to me to hear from other people what their stories in are that, you know, think about what, what would you like to do? What are you drawn to? What's right in front of you? We heard the other day on Tuesday from somebody who has started a social skills group and, and serves as a big sister to girls who are on the autism spectrum. What do you have that could make a difference for somebody else? And again, it may be money. Bless you, bless you, bless you if it's money. But don't forget that time is an essential thing and it can help so many people. Just giving attention to someone, uh, in positive attention for good things can sometimes make a world of difference. So I encourage you today, as you move through today and the rest of this week and the weekend, to think about you're already making a difference. You absolutely are. Do you need to spend that hour with your family or is there a way that you have some time, energy, or talent to donate somewhere in the spectrum? And if you need help, uh, sorting out what it is and who it is that you help. Remember, we're a resource here. So if you email me and say, hey, I'm really good at this. I'm an excellent sewer. How can that help somebody? I've got some people who need some weighted blankets and need somebody to work on that. I'll hook you up. Uh, or families that are trying to, to figure out that their child will perseverate on the snaps in the front and so they need to figure out how to get a pair of pajamas that doesn't have the snaps in the front, right? Um, there are all kinds of things. So no matter what the talent is that you have, I'll bet we can find somebody to hook that up with. So if you can't find it on your own, write to us here and we'll be happy to connect you. We're going to take a break and be back with more of Autism Live after these messages. What is autism? 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 I've been asking myself that for a very, very long time. Um, let me think about that one. <laughs> trying to uh, just um... Jeez. let me think. <laughs> oh man, that's a tough one. Yes. Uh, autism. Uh, autism is a neurological disorder that affects many of our kids in different ways. It's a learning disability that affects the cognitive functions of the brain. A lot of people have the misconception that it's a disability, and it's really not. I look at it as like a special gift. When one person thinks differently from another. It's an opportunity for everyone to learn to understand someone that's a little different than them. Autism is the ability to educate. They're given so much talent in different areas. To me, autism means a chance to be with and be around people you really care about. Autism is beautiful. It's a way of seeing the world differently. It's always unique, totally intelligent, and sometimes mysterious. Happiness that, that, that comes out of my um, son's um, hard work. It's a movement. Unpredictable. That's right. Awesome. Love. The field I want to work in. Laughter. Fun. Joy. Autism is beautiful to me. I want you to remember these three words. There is hope. Welcome back to Autism Live. We've been talking about making a difference. And if you need a way today, one of our favorite guests on the show, Shelly Hendricks, has encouraged us in the past to take five minutes every day and to advocate for the autism community. So uh, there is a, a bill right now, the Autism Cares 
bill, which formerly was known as the combating autism. And because we talked yesterday about how sometimes words have an effect and the words that we choose, there are members of our spectrum, of our community that have said resoundingly, this really is offensive to us when we keep talking about battling autism, defeating autism, um, ending autism, because they identify themselves as being autistic. So Congress heard this and changed the name of the bill from combating autism to Autism Cares. I just want to be clear with you that it's a bill that provides money to go towards research and supposedly figuring out how to provide resources for families right now. Um, it has been compromised from the beginning in terms of what it's been able to accomplish, but that doesn't mean that we don't still need it. So we really want to encourage you today to go to Autism Votes. You can go to actually Autism Speaks and click on their advocacy tab, and it will take you to Autism Votes, and you can very quickly sign up to be able to, there are many different ways that they help you to access your legislators very quickly. Uh, they'll, if you give them your phone number, they'll call you back and connect you. You don't even have to dial your phone uh, to one of your senators. They'll ask you which one you want to talk to. It connects you to the senator so that you can leave a message for their office. And I know it seems like these things just don't matter because when you call, it, it, you know, they'll say, hi, you know, uh, this is Senator Boxer's office. What can we do to help you, right? You say, well, I'm calling about the Autism Cares Bill. And they go, yes. And, and you say, I want, doc, I, I want Senator Boxer to know that it's I'm one of her constituents. And it's very important to me that she be on board and sponsor and vote for this. And they say, OK, thank you. Can we do anything else for you today? And you say, no. And you hang up. And sometimes you feel like, did, I, did that make a difference? Like, is it just somebody who's sitting there making little tally marks? And you know, the truth of the matter is that I've been in senator's office before, and yeah, that's exactly what happens in some cases. They're sitting there making the little tally marks. But at the end of the day, somebody walks through, whether it's the senator or a staffer who comes through and says, hey, you know, we're making decisions about this. What's the tally? And if you think that that's ridiculous, I want to remind you that they're supposed to listen to us. They're supposed to care about what we care about. They're we're, we are their constituents. We vote them into office. Our vote is supposed to be their vote, right? So, and often majority is, is what rules, right? So if they're sitting there and they say, well, we've had 43 people phone us and say that they're in favor of the Autism Cares Act, and have we had any people who phoned and said that they aren't? No. Well, then that's 43 to nothing. That's not nothing. But imagine if that number were 1,043. Does that carry more weight than 43? You betcha it does. And if it were a million and 43, then we're talking, right? So it's the little matchsticks that make the bonfire. And each one of us gets to be a matchstick. So I encourage you to go to autismspeaks.org, click on the advocacy tab, find the way that works best for you. And I know that they have been tireless about trying to figure out what's the best way for each individual. And they've given you choices. So figure out what that is. But take five minutes today to advocate. It's really going to make a difference in the next five years, whether we have that bill and have that funding or we don't. All right. We're going to take a break and be back with more Autism Live after these messages. Hi, welcome to Camp Discovery, a free-to-play suite of fun, interactive learning games for kids 2 and up. 
Designed by experts in autism, Camp Discovery will open your early learner to a world of new skills, shapes, numbers, colors, locations, emotions, and more. Let's get started. Please choose a level. Objects. First, Camp Discovery's intelligent preference assessment determines your child's preferred reward for choosing correctly. Okay, got it. Let's play. Camp Discovery creates a motivating learning environment for your child by minimizing incorrect responses and maximizing successful ones. Find the shoes. Respond correctly and your child is rewarded with their favorite animations. You did it. Respond incorrectly and our unique prompting system guides your child to the correct answer by making it the largest choice. That's not it. Try again. Way to go. Continue to answer correctly and the size gradually reduces until the child makes the correct choice independently. You win! Success! Rewards motivate learning. Complete a round and your child is rewarded with a fun mini-game. Track your child's progress with easy-to-read graphs. Multiple settings options allow you to customize Camp Discovery to your child's unique needs. All this in one single app, the Camp Discovery app, available for free on iTunes, Google Play, and Amazon Store. Welcome back to Autism Live. We promised you a little bit of autism news. And on Thursday, I love to leave you guys with uh, a good taste in your mouth for the weekend, right? So we've got a feel-good story for you that came out yesterday. There is a camp that's called Freedom and Elements, the Freedom and Elements Program. Uh, it's in Chico, California. And they it's a camp that helps individuals who are on the autism spectrum, but apparently does ever so much more than that. Um, it also serves as a summer school class for teachers training in special special education so twofold here um it it hadn't been able to run for the last three summers because it was so expensive but yesterday they received donations from two different companies in Chico totaling $15,000. And so they're absolutely ecstatic. So a giant came from Clean Right, Build Right. We want to say to Clean Right, Build Right, where to, way to go. Uh, really remarkable. And then also they teamed up with Farmers Insurance and raised money through a golf tournament. Uh, They're able to give 13 students the chance to live a college life at Chico State for three days. Uh, the university allows them to stay in the dorms, eat at the cafeterias, and explore their talents. The students organized and performed a musical for, th for their friends and family in three days, which is pretty amazing. Uh, so the $15,000, uh, the Rebecca Little, who is the Chico State, uh, Chico State professor and the camp organizer, says it's going to pay all of our bills for this year and it will help a little bit for kickstarting next year's camp. So we're very excited to receive the check. Staffers said camp expenses are about $10,000 each year. The camp also, as I mentioned, helps teachers to learn about being special education savvy in the classroom. Uh, the organizers believe that this camp is very important for autistic children. It breaks away from their daily routine they're used to and improves on their communication skills. So we, again, want to say a big, big thank you to Clean Right, Build Right, and to Farmers Insurance in Chico, California for making this happen. Really, really, really spectacular. Uh, those are the kinds of... And, and, you know, we mentioned yesterday, we were talking about the um, Miracle Project and what a difference it can make in the lives of children. I 
And you know, it, it, when we use those kinds of things, uh, such as music and theater uh, and any kind of performance art, it not only has a lasting effect for the members who participated in it, but again, for the audience. We went to the show last week, the Miracle Theater Project, and I said it was life-changing. And there were many people who were in the audience who were family members of the individuals who were in the show. And there were other people who had never been, been to something like that before, and it was really sort of fascinating to see how we're always talking about awareness and we're talking about how do we help people to understand our kids and our lives and what we're going through. And there were a couple of moments in the show and I'm going to well up talking about it, but uh, there was one moment in particular where uh, they they paused and there was a, a young man who's largely nonverbal and he had an aide on stage with him uh, and this, this thing had been happening on stage and I don't want to give it away because at some point you'll want to see it. Um, but it was really lovely and then there was a pause, a moment and she prompted him and, and she said, we did it and she waited and we all waited for a second and you could hear everybody in the audience breathe and this child said, together. And everyone in the audience erupted into applause and tears. That moment of him saying together was so huge. And we all experienced it together. And I don't care who you are and what you think about what autism is, but in that moment, you saw how much work and joy could go into one word. And, um, and then as if that wasn't enough, right. Um, to have shared that moment and you saw what it took for him to say that word and, and what it felt like when he could say that word, they put something up on the screen and it was a beautiful, beautiful paragraph and it was written by this young man. So if you had any doubts, if you had any moment of looking at this young man and thinking, Oh, look at the struggles that he has. Um, and, and you got an impression of who this young man was, and then you saw the words that he can write. And, you know, it's like a ball that drops and you go, this is a gifted, talented, intelligent human being who is in a body that cannot make sounds go from here to here easily. The appreciation that you got for that, it was life-changing, you guys. It was absolutely amazing. So not only does it help uh, the individuals participating to get that self-esteem and to have breakthroughs, but I honestly don't know that there's anything that could shed any more awareness than having an audience watch our kids performing and seeing the joy that they have, the intelligence that they have, the abilities that they have, and sometimes the obstacles that they have to get over. Really, really powerful stuff. So again, thank you to Clean Right, Build Right, and to Farmers Insurance in, Ch in Chico, California, for supporting those kinds of programs uh, for individuals and helping them to be on a college campus to know what that's like too. These are the things we hope for. All right, we're going to take a break and we are going to go to the A word. This is the ongoing documentary being made by the Center for Autism and Related Disorders following a little boy, Jack Riley, who has begun his early intensive behavioral intervention with really good quality ABA. We're watching as Jack and his family transform their lives to be able to carry out those principles of ABA. The idea that there is an antecedent, there's a behavior and there's a consequence and how 
how do we utilize this information to help him to learn and how do we utilize this information to shape some of his behavior and 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 further how do we utilize these things we have to create an environment in which he doesn't have to engage in challenging behavior anymore so that he can open his world to all the possibilities it's really fascinating so take a look this is the a word Jack Riley starts his day with Jessica and AB therapy at 8 a.m. Each session he has lasts around two hours, with a total amount of therapy of 40 hours per week. This includes occupational therapy, speech therapy, and ABA therapy. What do you want to play with today? Trains. That's what okay. I thought. <laughs> Yay, there you go. There's trains and tracks. So what's an average of programs you try to get done in a session with a kid? Um, I try to incorporate a lot of things as much as I can. Like, um, for instance, if he was playing with trains, I'd incorporate functional pretend play. So that's just basically teaching him how to play with a toy appropriately, the way it's supposed to be played. Building a track and having a move and using vocalizations. Choo-choo, let's go, all aboard, things like that. Choo-choo. All right, say all aboard. All aboard. All right. Because he's so little, we're building a lot of language. It's language, language, language. All the time. So we work on banding. So having him request for things for me. Uh, we can also work on tacting, which is having him label. Like the colors, the names of the trains. That's the trees. It's Thomas. It's Thomas. Also, we can work on um, getting attention. I would withhold the preferred trains or tracks and have him tap my shoulder to get more pieces. He wants to go. Hi, what do you want? You want trains. We can also work on compliance, like <clears throat> come here and give it to me. Wait. Come here. Give me clothes. 
Jessica and Jack Riley are continuing to work on categories. Give me vehicle. Vehicle. Oh, sorry. Thanks. Give me a vehicle. Nice. What's a fire truck? Fire truck. What is that? Vehicle. It's a vehicle. Cool. Give me clothes. Good job. What's a dress? Clothes. Clothes. Nice. Here you go. Here's your sticker. Give me furniture. Nice job. What's the table? Furniture. Furniture. Perfect. Give me clothes. Good job. What's a jacket? What's a jacket? No, what's a jacket? No. Welcome back to Autism Live. So that was the A word. I want to encourage you to watch this show in all of the different ways that you can. It's a tool. I always like to say that. Use the tool in the way that it fits you the best. You can see them on their very own YouTube page. Watch the entire series. Watch one episode. Go backwards. Go forwards. It really is something that if you're a family and you're about to start ABA, you can see, you know, what it looks like, realizing that it's going to be different for all families, but you're going to get a good idea of the fact that there's going to be play like we just saw in this one there are going to be times when the child's going to get frustrated but that they're not being mistreated you're going to see that the language comes and that that doesn't mean that all frustration goes away right that they cycle through good times and then a new behavior will crop up I know a lot of you write it and go you know we've been doing ABA for nine months and now we have a new behavior how could this have happened I thought this wasn't going to happen of course it's going to happen because our children grow imagine if children never you know if once you started ABA there was never any challenging behavior uh, think about the reality of teenage years it's, it's not going to happen. As they grow, they they find new horizons and new ways to challenge us and to have challenging behavior. So, and that's normal. And that's something to get excited about. Look at look at the new skill that they have that we now have to deal with, right? Um, so that's a reality. And um, you also get to see from the parents' point of view of how they go from being so thrilled to have therapy to being like, our whole lives is therapy to, okay, our whole lives is therapy. And I guess we really need this to being what would we have done without this and eventually we'll get to the point where we see this family say we no longer need this we no longer need this and that's its own transition time that I think we can all benefit from watching this family go through this so uh, it's really a remarkable series want to encourage you to watch it in a way that suits you best again on their very own YouTube page so uh, we'll take a break and we'll be back with more autism live after these messages Thank you. 
Hi, I'm Ryan with Autism Research Group. We study ways to improve the lives of kids with autism. One of those ways is teaching safety skills, such as what to do if they get lost. We hit the streets to find out if anybody knows the correct answer on how to teach a kid what to do if they get lost. You're teaching a child. What to do if they get lost. Yeah, you're trying to okay. make them independent so they have the skills. Gotcha, okay. Well, give them a compass. Code name's good idea, Centurion. We always have this whistle. Um. Oh, I'd also tell the kid, I tell the kid, don't get scared. It's all, you're gonna be all right, man. This is just the world. You're, this is planet Earth. You're at home here. As long as you're on planet Earth, you're at home. As long as you're on planet Earth, you're home. This guy's a genius. With that flawless logic, he just solved our homeless problem. And as for the unique sounding whistle, although very cool, it'll probably only work if you're in close proximity. And a compass. I have her call me. Yeah, she doesn't have a phone. Parents are like, you're too young, you don't need a phone. Establish some sort of like meeting place. What if they can't find a meeting place? Because sometimes Ooh. the kids get nervous when they get lost. Yeah. So like a backup plan. Well, like well, plan B. Yeah, I don't know. No, not really. Let them go and find a new kid. Or <laughs> yeah, I've got a different one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's not much you can do. There is stuff like, you can do. Like... That's right, there is stuff you can do. In 2012, myself, along with my colleagues, Dr. Jonathan Tarbox and Dr. Adele Nadowski, published a study in the Journal of Applied Behavior Analysis on teaching kids what to do when they get lost. The study demonstrated how three simple things, rules, role playing, and praise, were effective in establishing these help-seeking behaviors. The benefit of this method is it doesn't require the child to have a cell phone or to have to locate a meeting place, which might be difficult if they're in a place like Disneyland. So once again, our method included rules, role playing, and praise. Let's head back outside and learn about some of these rules. They should yell out loud. Can't find my mom, my mom, help me. Maybe yell out and scream for help. All right, scream really loud. Right. And if that don't work, then. I don't know. Well, they could seek help from someone. Find an adult. Yeah, go to a vendor, you know, and say I'm lost. Find an adult, like a police officer, or a fireman, or an employee in the store, and tell them, and maybe they can help you contact your parent. It really is that simple. You don't need to get your kid a cell phone. You don't need to establish a meeting place that they might not be able to find when they're lost and panicking. And you definitely don't need to give them a compass. All your kid has to do is three things. First, yell mom or dad real loud. Two, if that doesn't work, find an employee. And then third, tell the employee they're lost. If they can't locate an employee, then tell them to find a mother with children because that's probably the safest person to approach. I'm not saying that most men are predators, but most predators are men. That is a fact. I've read it in a fortune cookie. All right, so you've gone all the rules with your kid, and you've quizzed them, and they're able to tell you the correct responses so they understand the rules. But is that enough? How do you know they're going to perform correctly in a real-world setting? You need to get out there and find out if they can actually do it. So you'd go over the rules and tell them, like, do this, do that. But how would you know if they actually knew what to do? If you wanted to shoot a basketball, and I just told you, oh, when you shoot a basketball, do this, this, and this. I never practice. Never practice. Yeah, so it doesn't matter how many times we go over the rules or how well you can repeat them back to me. It's not going to change until you get on the court and practice. Maybe do uh, like a, you know, a little skit with them. Like a Kinda role play. Like... Role play. Yeah. Your child, you're lost in the toy aisle. Okay. What do you do? I'm an attendant walking around. <laughs> I'm lost. I don't know where my mom is. And then once you practice, you just like praise them, give them feedback, like good job, you did it. Like reinforcing. It.
Yes, this woman wins the prize for best comment. She pointed out the most important part of learning, reinforcement. Now, in our study, we used praise, but for your kid, you might have to use something else. You might have to buy them a treat, a toy, take them to their favorite restaurant where they can eat unhealthy food and run around and climb through plastic tunnels that have the unmistakable scent of urine and then play games spending $20 to get a plastic little spider ring that they will eventually lose in a ball pit. The point is, you need to reward your child for correctly demonstrating what you've been teaching them. Okay, I'm gonna call her. Hello, your child, Ryan. <laughs> so you tested it out in the store to make sure I knew it. I had the rules, we role played it and you made sure I knew it, and then like you said, good job, and all that. Now we're good to go. We're good to go. All right. Done? High five right there. <laughs> yeah. So there you have it. Give your child the rules, get out there and practice, and reward your child for responding correctly. For more information, please visit us online at autismresearchgroup.org. I'm Ryan Bergstrom. Thanks for watching. Yes, ding, no. <laughs> Yes, this woman wins the first. Yes, this woman. Yes, this woman wins the best. Yes, this woman wins the first place. Yes, this woman. Why can't I say what? Yes, this woman wins. What's the line? Yes. Welcome back to Autism Live. I'm going to go off on a little bit of a tangent here. I was watching a news program the other day and. Um, of course, we've heard many stories in the news lately about children being locked in hot cars and uh, the, the effects that that can have, that it can cost their lives, it can cause brain damage, that it's really, it's a very serious issue. And I want to start out by saying that. And, and it's, you know, we've been seeing all these different devices on all these news programs, some of them uh, developed by kids to prevent people from forgetting, because in this very busy, crazy society, apparently, there's a possibility that people uh, could forget that their child was in the back seat. I have to be honest with you and say that, you know, that has to be a wake-up call for so many other things. If your life is so busy that you could forget that your child is in the back seat, um, you know, I think you're going to need much more than a bunch of rubber bands to remind you. But, um, and, and we've all been encouraged in the news that if we see a child who's locked in a car to, you know, immediately call police and try to get the child uh, rescued. But some Somebody said something that, and it was the juxtaposition of it. There, we I just gotten done seeing on Facebook that another child had drowned because they had eloped due to autism. And then I looked up on the news, and somebody was saying, <clears throat> you know, that this is a national crisis. That two children have uh, been locked in cars in the last week, and you know, it's very hot, and people need to know, and everybody needs to mobilize, and it's a national crisis. And I don't disagree. I think that our children's safety is so, so very important, but it really brought home to me that two children die in cars due to excessive heat and being locked in because parents got busy and forgot, and we are told to mobilize, and it's a national crisis, and we all need to take action, and we all need to start looking in cars to see if children are trapped. And, and as I said, I don't disagree with that, but it really brought home to me the difference that how many children have already drowned this summer because they eloped from autism, and nobody has been told to mobilize. Nobody has been told that, you know, even though this isn't your child, you need to keep your eyes peeled. And it makes me sad. It is a failure. <clears throat> 
And I don't know if it's a failure just in society or, uh, um, you know, it's just a failure of ignorance that more of us need to speak out and, and let people know. But certainly, since I have a mouthpiece here, and you guys, I know, I know that I talk about this all the time. Anybody who's listening, if you have a child who's young and has ever eloped or you suspect might ever, please take all the actions that you need right now to ensure the safety of your child so that we don't have another one of these tragedies and share information with your neighbors let them know if you've got you know twice in the last week we've seen that the children have died drowning in pools and ponds of neighbors go talk to your neighbors tell them what your concerns are uh, I know that those parents if they could go back in time and have conversations with their neighbors and maybe everybody together take action so that this doesn't happen again if we're willing to start looking in cars and parking lots to make sure that children aren't dying there let's be willing to do more for our kids with autism also not instead of but also it's all about our kids safety so I I hope that mainstream media will will jump on that as well um, and get as concerned as we all are about it I really really hope so all right uh, we're gonna take a break and when we come back I believe that we're gonna have dr. Jonathan Tarbox with us I know you guys have been writing in a bunch of questions and we're gonna see what dr. Tarbox has to say about what you've written and stick with us when you find out you're having a boy you always think like oh he's gonna play football he's gonna do this and that and then when he's diagnosed all those things get washed away it's like that piece that's always in the back of your mind you know where is he what is he doing is he safe we really didn't know what we were dealing with I wish that they could have directed me a little bit more and provided me some information I was a young mom I didn't know what it was like to raise a boy despite a boy with autism hundreds of thousands of families are not getting the help they need for their children with autism all around the country act today is determined to bridge the gap these families really have to go through a lot to get a grant. The application process isn't easy. The records, the diagnosis proof, they're really battling for their kids. So when we can give them a grant, it is so wonderful to see that they succeed in getting that help for their children. Our founder, Dr. Doreen Grandpichet, is an amazing woman. And she is one of the world's foremost authority on behavior of children with autism. She's extremely knowledgeable and she oversees every single grant we give. She is part of that process. People may think of autism care and treatment as simply schooling or therapy, but you know, we provide important safety supports, things like fencing, for example. The whole family's living in fear of that child running out into traffic. I recently delivered an iPad to a little boy with some of the apps that are out there for children with autism. Miracles happen. I got the iPad from ACT. From ACT, What yeah. did it say? Can you repeat that, Dustin? I got the iPad from that. We have helped so many military families. And when I think of these brave families that are fighting two battles, one to protect our country and one for the right treatment and care for their children, it, it breaks my heart. And I think we have to do more as a nation to help them. There's not a day that doesn't go by that we don't think about it. Some people say, oh, he's normal. You don't see the battles that I see every single day. My husband does have to deploy, and when they get on that bus, that might be the last time that my kids ever see them. 
So I called and they informed me that he had received the grant, which was like a blessing from above. I was just like speechless. I just started to cry because, you know, without it, we would, we would have been lost. The AT grant was a total miracle. Without that, they wouldn't be able to receive a service dog. So we're so appreciative what they've done for us as a family. Recently, Act Today funded a program for military children with autism in San Diego, the Inclusion Films program, which is run by Joey Travolta, and teaches uh, kids on the autism spectrum literal filmmaking skills. They learn how to make a movie. Are we ready? There you go, got it. Okay. Everything that goes into the process of making a film goes into everyday life. So they're learning life skills, they're learning to collaborate. It was really nice to know how much they were enjoying this camp and they're with people who are supporting them and are making them feel great about themselves and their differences and their similarities. And I get two kids that are working together and apart and together and apart, so it's an interrelationship as well as a camp and a learning experience. It's so fulfilling when I get letters. One stands out for me, a, a boy who was 14 with Asperger's, and we gave him a grant to go to a drama camp. He wrote to us and said, Dear Act Today, thank you for letting me belong for the first time in my life. These kids are remarkable. You know, we underestimate them. They're so knowledgeable, they're so capable, and we can change the life of a family, which means changing the life of a community. Welcome back to Autism Live. We're so thrilled and we're so lucky and fortunate that we have Dr. Jonathan Tarbox back in the studio with us. Welcome back. Thank you very much. You've been away and we're going to talk about that a little bit uh, later on, about what you've been off and doing, but so thrilled to have you here with us. As you guys know, if you watch the show, he is the head of research and development at the Center for Autism and Related Disorders and the director of the Autism Research Group, a very important organization that does really amazing things, helping to create research and results for people who are trying to make progress now. Absolutely. Uh, we love that. Thank and for you. all of us who've ever seen those studies where you go, really? Did they really need to study that? Uh, Dr. Tarbox is involved in studies that really make a difference for us now. So thank you for doing that. And he's here today to begin to answer some of your questions that you guys have been writing in. So I'm going to start with this one. Uh, my son is six and has been having some problem behaviors around the time the kids are going to the bus to the school. The behavior is basically him dropping to the floor and refusing to get up until all the buses are gone. By the way, I call that the Gandhi maneuver. <laughs> right? I have a friend who civil calls it. Civil disobedience. Yes, yeah, civil disobedience. It's just like I, you know, they're they're channeling Gandhi. I have a friend who calls it spaghetti legs, but I, you know, it's total civil civil disobedience, right. and it worked so well. The people have done it for several generations now. Um, so your your child is in good company. We'll just point that out. Anyway, um, so he refuses to get up until all the buses are gone. We found that he likes to watch the buses leave and also possibly has something to do with him watching the wheels. He's able to stay and watch. He has no problem going in the school, but of course this is not ideal for the staff because when it's time to go in, he's expected to be compliant and go in. 
uh, previously, he was attending public school, and they would have to let him sit on the floor until he was willing to get up because they weren't allowed to do the full physical prompt that mom had suggested. Uh, since the start of summer, he is now attending another school, not public, and in a program just for kids with autism. All of the staff is supposed to be trained well in ABA. She goes on to say, I feel like it was a great decision, and now my son has more good days than bad, but he still struggles with the bus. What are the first steps we should all be taking to gain control of the problem and thanks again so much and i just want to point out um, that you said sorry that you had to send it in two messages because our live feature does limit to you to 400 characters but you can feel free to continue writing just make sure that you give some sort of reference so that i know what to tie it to because sometimes somebody will send in a message in between and i don't know what goes with what so thank you for pointing that out and no need to apologize so dr tarbox we've got a a, a six-year-old who really likes to see the buses leave right. before he wants to go into school. Right. Yeah, so uh, of course without knowing uh, any more about the kid, uh, it's hard to give specific recommendations, but, right. but um, this parent did actually provide a lot of useful detail, which yes. is nice. Um, we appreciate that. Um, <clears throat> Well, the number one thing we always come back to in ABA is motivation. Mm -hmm. And so it's always about what is the kid getting out of doing the behavior that you want him to do? And what is the kid getting out of doing the behavior you don't want him to do? Right. And trying to tip the scales in your favor, right? And so she's already pointing out some uh, potential um, sources of motivation for him for this challenging behavior. Yeah. Sounds like maybe watching the wheels of the bus, watching the bus leave, um, and so on. If that's the case, then um, the first thing I would do is give him some alternative way of getting a similar type of uh, stimulation but that doesn't make him have to not get on the bus. So for okay. example, um, maybe some toy that he can look at that provides visual stimulation, um, maybe um, a book or just just anything to look at that provides some kind of visual stimulation. Could even be a toy bus that he can look at that he can carry with him onto the bus. Or even an um, iPad that shows a video of absolutely. wheels moving. Yeah, what, whatever would work for the child and whatever is sort of portable and you know right. isn't going to get lost or destroyed or whatever else. Yes. But just give him something that he likes and that'll keep him interested visually uh, while he waits in line and then climbs up onto the bus. Okay. So that would be, you know, one option. Um, another th uh, great thing, uh, it, of course, is always just positively reinforce the behavior you want to get. So um, if there's some very powerful reward that he can only get once he gets onto the bus, yeah. then that, you know, that'll go a long ways too. I don't know what the staffing situation is like in this situation. Yeah. I'm not sure if there'd be someone available to actually give him a, a reinforcer when he gets on the bus. But if there is someone available to do that, that would be um, probably the best way to go. Okay. And I love how you said, you know, know that, that we, there's a strong possibility that it has something to do because the, the mom seems to feel she's got a gut feeling and they've done some investigating to see that it's probably the wheels but we don't want to necessarily assume that because That's it right. may not be the wheels That's as right. much as be. we think it's the wheels it may not be the wheels yeah and we see that all the time that our first hunch turns out to not be correct right yeah. so it could be something about the bus that he doesn't like it could be the bus driver it could be the noises or or you know the hecticness of being on the bus could be that he doesn't want to go to school so therefore he doesn't yeah. want to get on the bus um, and so those you know though if if it's those sources of motivation it could change what you're doing a little bit but um, as long as you're giving some kind of powerful positive reinforcement for getting on the bus yes. then that's the most likely thing to work okay because I, I always think about the fact that uh, it's it's like a good mystery novel you know you get early leads in a, in a mystery novel and you think oh I think it's so-and-so and then then you discover no there's more information that reveals its other things
things. And sometimes that's the way it is with our kids, with our with their behavior. All the time. Our, our jargon for today was antecedent, but we talked a little bit about the three-term contingent and how there's an antecedent, a behavior, and a consequence. And of course, my question is, if the bus leaves and go to school, he gets that reward of seeing the wheels, right. but then what else happens? Right. Does he get to ride in the car with mom and mom sings? Exactly right. You maybe, know? Maybe just riding in the car is more preferred than riding in the bus, right? Yeah. And so it could be just that. You yeah. never know for sure. Um, and so, uh, well, and then of course, prompting him to get on the bus so that he can't escape getting on the bus would also be valuable. So yeah. if, if, if you simply don't physically allow him to not get on the bus, and then you also positively reinforce getting on the bus, you're really tipping the scales in your favor, I think. Yeah. I, I, I'm somebody that when I was in fourth grade, we moved, and I had to ride a bus to school, and I would get car sick on the bus. Mm. So I came up with every excuse in the world why mom had to drive me <laughs> to school every day. And it could be that I couldn't find my shoes. It could be that I didn't feel good. Uh, you know, anything under the sun, I would do anything to negotiate. to. Figure, and my mother didn't know, and I wouldn't say to her. Right. But because of the way the bus, when it came, I, I could ride the bus home because I could ride in the front of the bus. But when the bus picked us up, we always had to get in the back of the bus, and I would get car sick. Mm. It took my mother an entire year to figure it out. Right? Right. Because yep. she, you know, and I was a very verbal child. <laughs> I had language, but I didn't want to tell her. Right. I don't know why I was embarrassed about it. And she didn't know what to ask. So it took her an entire year. So, you know, and there we go. Okay. So uh, let's take a quick break and then we'll come back with another question. And then eventually we're right. going to talk about where you were last week. So stick with us. The Institute for Behavioral Training provides courses in applied behavior analysis for the treatment of autism. Access IBTE learning videos on the move and learn at your own pace. I'm going to talk a little bit about intensity. IBTE learning makes any location your classroom on the go. So our objectives for today are to really learn what is autism and how is it diagnosed. Get professional guidance with IBT face-to-face -face training. IBT face-to-face -face training courses prepare you to effectively implement ABA-based interventions. Choose between small group and one-to-one -one instruction. Earn BCBA supervision hours via one-to-one -one video conferencing. So I had a chance to review your BIP today. You know what? It looked really good. You did a good job with it. IBT continuing education courses. Earn credit through webinars, conferences, article reviews, and e-learning videos. You can learn more at ibehavioraltraining.com. IBT, 360 degrees of ABA training. Welcome back to Autism Live. We're here with Dr. Jonathan Tarbox. He's the head of research and development at the Center for Autism and Related Disorders, and he's also the director of the Autism Research Group. We really want to encourage people to check out the website for Autism Research Group. Do you, do you still have a survey that they can do? We do, yes. Okay, so where do they need to go to find that? Autismresearchgroup.org. I love how you keep it simple. Um, so definitely check that out, fill out the survey. They ask questions like, what would you like to see more research done? And I don't know anybody else who's asking us that question. So we, we need to take advantage of that. Reinforce them by telling them what you want to see, and then you're more likely to see the research happen. So we're asking Dr. Jonathan Tarbox to answer some of your questions. I want to go on to the next one. I have a son who is 10 years old on the spectrum, high functioning, and an eight-year-old son who is neurotypical. My younger son often gets impatient or frustrated with his older brother at times. How do I explain to my younger son that his brother is autistic and what that means in a 
way that he will understand? Should I also try to explain to my 10-year-old about autism? Mm. These these are some of the toughest questions, right? That's right. Um, so appreciate that you're asking them and know that you're in a boat with a lot of other parents about when and how and who do I tell and how do I tell a younger sibling so that they get it. Right. Uh, but, you know, honestly, how do I tell my mother-in-law so she gets it is a question we have. I mean, how do we tell the principal so that the principal gets it? Right. This is a tough, tough thing. So help us out, Dr. Tarbox. Solve all of that problem oh. for us right now. Well, no problem. <laughs> no pressure. Uh, I was no going to defer to you. I feel like you might be more oh, of an expert on wow. this. And, I mean, I, I can say a few words, but yeah, I, I'd be really do. interested to hear what you have to say. Um, the first thing that I'd point out is, um, especially from the ABA perspective, Labels um, really don't help with anything, right? So when we uh, start working with a child with autism, we don't care that the name, that the word autism applies to this kid. All we care about is how can we help this kid maximize his skill development and have a better life, have a more independent life. Um, and so as a parent, I think I would kind of think in the same way, which is how is this label relevant at all? And what does it do? And, and sure, you don't want to um, hide the truth from your kids, probably, although some parents choose to do that. Um, but at what point is it actually functional? Like what purpose in my family will it serve to tell my child that they have that label and to tell the sibling that the other sibling has that label? Um, and if there's a purpose that makes sense to you and a reason to do it, then I'd say, okay, start considering it. Um, but I would submit to you that um, behaving in a certain way, like let's say being kind of annoying sometimes or being impatient or being um, overly repetitive or overly rigid, those are traits that your child might do that can be frustrating, mm -hmm. right? And that you, yes, indeed, you need to deal with and that the younger sibling will need to learn how to deal with. But that would be the case whether or not the child was labeled as having autism, right? There's plenty of people in the world that are difficult to deal with yeah. and that don't need a label for it. Yeah. Um, so I would consider that first. Is, is it really going to help my child... Um, um, help my younger child uh, deal with my older child more effectively if there's a label. If you really think that the answer to that is yes, then sure, go ahead. Um, if, if it's just a matter of figuring out a way for the, a system for them to interact more productively and more positively, then guess what? Everybody has to do that with their kids, regardless of whether or not yeah. you have a, an autism diagnosis. So, um, so I, that's kind of the first thing that I would consider is what's the point? Like, what's the purpose yeah. of, of using that label? And what, what does that get you? And, and if there's a reason for it, then sure. Otherwise, I would just treat it like any other uh, difficult uh, sibling interaction, which, by the way, everyone deals with, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think that's uh, all wonderful. And since you asked me, you know, my opinion about it, I have come to look at this and say, you know, it's so individual that right. what your individual values are, what your upbringing and what you've got on board, plus knowing your child and that gut instinct about, is this going to help or hurt? Um, I really defer to the individual parent about case-by-case uh, -case things. As I, as I looked at it for me, and as I talked to other parents, you know, I'll talk to a parent and sometimes they'll say, well, I just don't want other kids to make fun of him. Right. And I think, well, okay, that's really, really valid. That's a really valid thing, and that's something that has to do with that parent. I will be honest with you that that wasn't my concern.
I didn't want for me, what was the core value was I didn't want for my child to think that there was something that I was holding back from him. Right. That was the right. more important, not that I'd want him to be picked on by other people, but you know, there's a hierarchy that you look at it and go, what's more important to me? So what was important to me was that if he was going to hear autism and that he had autism, that he would hear it from me and not the kid down the street who was going to say it in a way that was meant to be mean. Right. That right. was what was essential to me. But that is so very me and not everybody else. Right. And that is so very my child and not every other child. So sometimes parents will say to me, well, I, you know, you're going to hate me because I chose to do X, Y, and Z. And I always say, oh my gosh, I could never hate you for making yeah, that choice. That's, choice. that's you and all the things that you are meshed with all the things that your child is. And I couldn't possibly know what the right thing would be in that circumstance. Uh, only you could, you are uniquely the only person who's prepared to know what's right for the two of you or for the five of you, however many people there are in the family. So I think it really depends. And I think, um, when it's a sibling that that's a whole other, uh, ball of wax. Right. right. Um, but what I've heard from siblings, um, is that knowing that they were included on the team mm-hmm. was core to them feeling like it was okay that, that, and, and that team, as you said, doesn't have to have a label. Right. But to understand that they aren't crazy, that something is happening, that something's different than the interaction that they're having with the person across the street and with the person down the block, and and yet that understanding that people are so vastly different. And I really go to literature and movies and plays mm-hmm. to show that because that's what we've always done that's been successful. When you think of Grimm's fairy tales, it was a, something to teach a child about things that would come later on in life without saying what it is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And there are so many opportunities to, uh, you know, it is one of the most popular themes now in literature and in movies that people are different and we should accept them for how different they are. Absolutely. So find those films that speak to your child in whatever way, uh, you know, it can be everything from how to train your dragon, mm-hmm. <laughs> which, you know, that's the core lesson in that to, you know, there are so many other things. We just saw Earth to Echo mm-hmm. the other night and um, it's, it's a frightening film, I will say, not for young kids, but, um, but it has a, a theme of people being different and accepting people for who they are and and looking at their differences as being something that's a strength not a weakness mm-hmm. but having to accept them so i would encourage you to to take get that younger person on the team and to give them lots and lots of as you always say reinforcement right. for getting through those moments with the person what we see all the time is that those siblings grow up to be some of the most incredible people on the face That's of the right. planet yep yeah way way higher levels of empathy and just yeah. understanding for others and compassion and a lot of them go in, go into helping fields too because yes. they get what it what it's like to help someone else who's less fortunate than yeah them. and and they see the value in it. That's right. So um, we wish you really good luck. Uh, Actually, I have one more point. Yeah, yeah, sure, absolutely. Uh, so yeah, um, turns out that about a th- uh, maybe about a quarter to a third of the population could go get a diagnosis of some kind. Okay. Mm. So in other words, it's not weird to be weird. It's normal yeah. to be not normal, right? Yeah. In other words, all humans are different, right? Which echoes yeah. what you were saying before. Um, and it's not normal to not have problems. That's yeah. Uh, in fact, that doesn't even exist, right? Humans uh, li- live struggle. I mean, that's what it, that's what it is to be human. Um, so there's no such thing as like a kid who's just fine, who has no problems. There's no such thing as a human who's just normal and fine, right? So um, 
as soon and but 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 we don't understand that right because our normal like sort of cultural model or cultural way of looking at disease or disorder is you're either normal or you're X whatever yeah. X is yeah. and if you're X you're not normal there must be something wrong with you yeah. right um, and so um, as soon as you tell your child you have X or you are X they immediately not because you want them to or not because you mean them to but they immediately tell themselves oh there must be something wrong with me then mm. right mm. Um, you know I worked with a, um, a young child or not young about a nine or ten year old with Asperger's and you know he had tutoring after school and um, and he said to, he said to me once well I, I have tutoring after school my friends don't have tutoring so that must mean I'm retarded you know mm. and, and meanwhile this kid you know has a higher than average IQ super bright kid just has some social difficulties um, and so you know just to hear a kid say that is just so crushing right yeah. so immediately he's doing what our society teaches us to do which is be mean to ourselves basically right and point out something something about me is different therefore bad right mm -hmm. so if you know it, when the time comes to to um, give your child that label um, it's critical to talk about it as, like you were saying before, everyone is different, everyone could have, you know, everyone needs help in something. You can point out examples of superheroes or sports athletes that need help in some way, you know, like even the best basketball player in the world still needs a coach. He's right. not doing it on his own, right? right. Um, you know, the head of the X-Men is in a wheelchair, you know what I mean? Right. Like nobody's perfect. Everybody has some struggle and so it's important to sort of frame it as that not yeah. frame it you know make sure you don't frame it as that you're different or you're you know bad in some way right it's so interesting how connotations of things that we don't even realize that kids pick up and even our kids on the spectrum absolutely um, that they they pick sometimes up. more so because a lot of our yeah. kids on the spectrum tend to be very black and white so yeah. either I'm this or I'm that yeah you know it's so important to realize that yeah it's a big challenge Big, big challenge, but uh, keep us posted. Let us know how it goes, what you decide to do, but realize it's really personal and there's no wrong answer. That's right. Uh, no wrong answer at all. And it's lovely that you're already thinking about how can I make things easier for both kids. You're a good parent. You're doing a good job. We're going to take a break and we're going to be back with more of Autism Live and Science Beat with Dr. Jonathan Tarbox after these messages. Learn the early signs of autism today, because an early diagnosis can make a lifetime of difference. Hey, I made your favorite. With real egg noodles and bite-sized chicken, Campbell's chicken noodle soup is the one kids love. Mm-mm, good. Come and get this on. Thanks. Stream your favorite content when you want. AT&T. Really 
Yeah, he. I have. I. He is a really awesome. Welcome back to Autism Live into a segment that we call Science Beat. We're here with Dr. Jonathan Tarbox. He is the head of research and development at the Center for Autism and Related Disorders and also the director of the Autism Research Group. An all-around good guy, smart guy, who's had extensive experience working with individuals on the autism spectrum. And he joins us today. We're answering your questions um, that you guys have written in. So this next one is, how do I get my adult son to use his Dynavox while at a day program? He only uses it at home and with his speech therapist. He is nonverbal with OCD and very, all in caps, routine oriented. And right now he will turn off the Dynavox and put it away when staff try to have him use it. Thank you for your help. Mm. Okay. So uh, we always think of a, a Dynavox or any other voice output communication device as um, as the same thing as any other language that you want a human to learn. So the really, uh, just from a pure ABA perspective, there's no difference between using a Dynavox or sign language or writing something on a piece of paper or speaking vocally. Mm -hmm. um, the way we look at it is there always has to be some function for the speaker. There has to be a reason for them to do that if you want them to do it. And so the most basic function of language is getting what you want. So in mm -hmm. behavioral ease, we call it a mand. Uh, so, you know, give me an apple, give me my teddy bear, whatever, right? right? Um, and so if he's not using the Dynavox at work, what that's, what, or at the vocational program, what that's telling me is uh, one of two things. Either there's nothing that he wants there, right? So he's not mm -hmm. using it to ask for anything that he wants, but that's unlikely, right? They've got right. to at least have water, coffee, bathroom, lunch. I mean, it's basic stuff yeah. that anyone would want. Um, or he's able to get what he wants without having to use the Dynavox. Okay. So the number one thing we do is if you want someone to use a communication met uh, method, whatever it is, is they've got to use that in order to get what they want. That's the very first step. So I would have the staff um, make sure that he uses that before he gets whatever he wants. So when he makes a request for something using some other method, pointing, uh, eye gaze, or gestures, or, or taking the person's hand and leading them, whatever it is, however he's communicating that he wants something, um, they should take out the Dynavox, prompt him to touch the symbol that, um, that uh, uh, corresponds to whatever he wants, and then give it to him. And that's the number one thing. Okay, but is it just me? I want to know why. I want to know why sure. he's taking that Dynavox and like here you have your method of communicating right. and you're making a conscious choice and going, I'm going to shut this off and put it over there and I'm not going to touch it. And to me, I, uh, that seems like a huge, huge gesture and I want to know why. Well, so it could be a number of things, right? And I right. can only guess, but what my very first guess is always that you get what you want for something else that's easier. Right. And so my first guess would be he just doesn't need to use it. So why, why bother using it? It's a little bit more effortful than however he normally gets what he wants. Okay. And if the staff go along with that and support that, just whatever right. his normal way is right. without the Dynavox, then that's fine. He has no motivation to use the Dynavox. Um, however, what we see a lot with folks on the spectrum is if you train a certain behavior only in one particular setting and only using one or two particular trainers or therapists, the individual on the spectrum will often only want to use that behavior in that setting and with that therapist. Okay. So if it's only the speech therapist that has trained this, that's actually what we would expect to see, is he okay. only does it with a speech therapist. Okay. So that's why in uh, top quality ABA programs, we always try to have multiple different therapists work with the same individual. Um, even if it's only a 10 hour a week program, we try to at least have two different therapists right. and one supervisor, right? And we train the mom, and we train the dad, and right. we train the nanny. Because it has to generalize. It has to generalize. And we train the teacher and the teacher's aide, or in this case, a vo uh, the vocational staff, uh, whatever the case is, 
you train the maximum number of people possible to, to implement the same teaching and learning programs with the individual uh, so that it generalizes. Okay. Uh, so that's that's where I would start. And, and uh, But I'm also curious to know what, like if they've ever tried an iPad in that setting, something else that can work like a Dynavox, but has a different system, obviously, and it has to, it has to be trained. Um, because we've heard from one other viewer that and that and that's the only reason why I'm bringing this up was that at a certain age he didn't want to use his Dynavox when he was at school because it wasn't a cool uh, thing. It doesn't okay. look cool. Yeah. Whereas yeah. the iPad looks cool. makes you look cool, yeah. but the Dynavox is a little clunky. It's a little heavier. It's not the cool thing, and kids don't want to gather around to see what you're doing. Where yeah. when you have the iPad, it's currency. That could be. So could be. Um, it depends on I how socially motivated the individual yes. is. Yeah. But yeah, that, yeah. That could be. But however, uh, a lot of speech language folks um, point out that there's a lot of benefits of Dynavoxes over iPads. And I'm not okay. an expert in this, so I wouldn't okay. really be able to speak one way or the other. But there could be good reasons to keep the Dynavox. Okay. But, uh, you know, again, unless the individual is kind of embarrassed by it or something like that, why not? Just makes it, I just, you know, I think for all parents, it's like we want to crawl inside their heads and right. live for 10 minutes so that we get it. Yep. Yep. It's what we want to do. You know, uh, another possible reason is uh -huh. it could just be a routine thing. I mean, once you've yeah. learned, uh, for a lot, a lot of folks that I've worked with, once they've learned to do something in a particular way in a particular setting, that itself becomes a routine, and they don't want to do it in a different setting because yeah. that's not how you're supposed to do it. Yeah. You know what I mean? So yeah. If and she mentions that it, he's very rigid about yeah. how things are, and if that's the pattern, but that can be changed. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Need good old positive reinforcement. All right. Uh, so again, I'd love to hear back from you and hear what what you figure out and how it works and and how you get to the happy place because that's really what it's all about. How do we get to the happy place, that's right. right? Okay. Okay, uh, so my son covers his ears a lot when we go to public bathrooms. He's four. I have seen him do this too when my daughter falls and he anticipates her crying. So he mainly does this when he's anxious about a noise that is about to happen. Thank you for your show. It's a godsend. We so oh, appreciate you really watching. Nice. Um, I think this is interesting because I've shared before on the show that we had lots of problems in bathrooms with mm -hmm. my son uh, and noises and sensory. And loud and, yeah. and all that. It, yeah. I mean, it tends to be tile surfaces, so the sensory, you know, the sound bombarding everywhere. It's loud and um, sharp. Yeah. 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 Um, but he's also doing it when he anticipates his uh, sister crying, mm -hmm. um, and so he gets anxious about those noises. Sure. What, what do we want to... Well, what I would suggest, and I, I love saying this, and I don't know if this is accurate or not, but I love it when I can say, don't worry about it. That's okay. You know, for a four-year-old kid, unless that behavior of covering his ears is really getting in the way of doing other things that matter, which maybe it is, and we don't know. Okay. But if it's not, I would say, that's okay. He, do he doesn't like to hear those noises. Those noises are scary or aversive. They're disruptive for him. Let him cover his ears for a little bit. Let's okay. maybe worry about it next year. You know, okay. that's what I would suggest. I love that advice. Uh, and, I, and I have seen with Jem, that the older he gets, the more he seems to be able to sort it out himself. Right. I've seen that too. And just through repeated exposure, whatever you're afraid of, you start to get used to, whether yeah. you like it or not. It's yeah. called habituation, and it just happens. Uh, so through repeated exposure, as, as the child gets older, he's going to just be forced to hear more and more frustrating and annoying sounds yeah. and scary sounds, and he will eventually get used to it. Um, but I mean, there, there are treatments for that, right? There's, there's desensitization treatments, yeah. things like that, that where we could actually teach him to get used to those sounds 
to not be afraid of them. But honestly, with a four-year-old, I really wouldn't even bother with that. Because there's yet. so many there's other so things many that other are things more important in that yeah. moment. Yeah. Uh, oh, I think that's really great advice. Uh, it's reminding me too that because I, I think about Jem when we were four and we would go into a bathroom and and it was a sensory playground for him because it was shiny surfaces, uh, echoey surfaces, and he would I would always say he disintegrates in a bathroom. He he can be like totally making eye contact and everything going fine. We walk into the bathroom and you'd lose him for a full half hour. He'd be in the bathroom stimming like crazy and making all these whoop noises and we'd go out and, he's, and you know, he's a mess afterwards. And I would always say, you know, I hated to take him to the bathroom while we were out because I would have to deal with the behavior afterwards. And I, and I just, as we were talking about this, realizing that we just don't have that anymore on Way any away. level. That's great. You know, now he's like, you know, totally, uh, let me go to the bathroom by myself. Let me come out by myself. What's your, what's your issue? Mm-hmm. Um, so just a little hope for everybody that it can change. All right, we're going to take another break, and then we're going to come back and talk with Dr. Tarbox. Really, uh, we, we, we're going to take a short break and come back and talk about where he was last week. I want to hear all about this, so stick with us. Hi, I'm Bryce Myler, and I'm the Contracts Director for the Center for Autism and Related Disorders. I've been here for about five years. CARD has several employees with many years of insurance experience uh, dealing with insurance, dealing with pre-authorizations, dealing with discovering whether there's coverage or not. So we have more experience than any ABA provider that I've ever come across. So for, for a prospective client, somebody that may be interested in you know ABA therapy and what CARD has to offer, we have a special 800 number um, and you call that number. They will talk to you about what we have to offer, uh, how ABA works. He'll ask you for the front and back of your ID card and then we check to see if you do or do not have coverage. If you have coverage for ABA therapy, we try to do whatever we can to set it up where we can bill for you and you don't have to fight with the insurance company every month to get your claims paid. For California residents, we recently did a series of insurance trainings all over the state and you can click on the link below to watch pretty much the full presentation. It has a lot of information how you can get your insurance company to to comply with what they're supposed to do. Uh, understanding the networks and many other um, valuable pieces of information. Welcome back to Autism Live. We're here with Dr. Jonathan Tarbox. We're towards the end of the show, and so we wanted to take a couple of minutes to talk about where you've been. Sure. You've been traveling, and, and tell us, uh, enlighten us. Right, so last week I was in uh, Littleton, Colorado, mm-hmm. at the uh, headquarters of the Behavior Analyst Certification Board, the BACB, which is the uh, professional credentialing organization that provides the BCBA uh, credential, right? We're so, in alphabet land, yeah, yeah. but it all um, starts to make some sense. Yes. Yeah. And, um, and you know, the, the BCBA certification is still a relatively new thing. 20 years ago, it was brand new. Now it's the standard, right? So it, yeah. if you're in any good quality ABA program, um, your supervisor should be a board certified behavior analyst or BCBA. Uh, and like any other professional credentialing uh, licensure or, or uh, certification, there's a whole process for how that um, certification comes about what the standards are for the certification, um, how you take the test, what type of exam it is, um, you know, how, how many courses you need to take at university, what type of degree you have to have, all of those different standards that basically ensure some minimum level of competence in the field of behavior analysis come from somewhere, and this is where they come from, is this organization. Okay. 
So, so it's the, the, the tap line, the tap root for all the good things that we want to have happening in our lives. This is where it's all coming it's from. It's very, very important. Yeah. If you okay. care about, if you care about, um, you know, competence in our field, if you care about professional standards in our field, if you care about there being some kind of accountability, then um, having board certification as a behavior analyst, the BCBA certification is very, very important. It's sort of the first step. There's lots of other things we could do too, right? right. But that's the first step. It's the foundation really. Um, so what I was out there for was, um, like any good quality uh, professional credential, it's always evolving and it's always changing um, because they want to stay abreast of new developments in the field. So about every month or every few months, um, they bring, a, bring out what's called a work group, which is a group of maybe six to 10 experts in the field. And they sit them down in a room for a couple days and they give them some tasks. And they say, you guys take these tasks, make a recommendation. Okay. And the neat thing about it is the members of the work group do not work for the BACB. They're independent. So for example, I was invited out to this work group. Okay. I worked for CARD. I work for Autism Research Group. I have no vested interest in the Behavior Analyst Certification Board. I was just invited as a subject matter expert. And sitting around the table with me were nine other subject matter experts in all different areas. So there was one, uh, one woman there who was an expert in brain injury, one who was an expert in aging and behavioral approaches to gerontology, um, someone who was an expert in development of technology, Wow. Someone who's an expert in behavioral medicine, um, a few autism people. There was a parent. There's always a parent representative, which I think is fantastic, yeah. or a consumer representative. Um, and so it was really a mixed group of people from all over the country from with you know very different um, degrees of expertise and different areas of expertise. And uh, basically, the way it worked was they would give us tasks. They'd say, okay, here's the, you know, for example, the, um, and I can't give any specifics. I'm sworn to right. secrecy. But, but did you just totally ABA geek out? Yeah, that, that's what you do. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All day for two days. Wow. Um, and they, you know, the, the board gives you tasks and they say, you know, here's an issue. We want you to discuss it and come up with a recommendation. Okay. And th the board is not allowed to tell us what recommendation to make. Our group makes the recommendation. And then we give that to the board. And then the members of the board uh, vote the recommendation either up or down. So they don't have to take the recommendation, okay. but it's it's a, a real significant degree of um, objectivity and yeah. independence that's brought into the whole system for how the professional standards of the field evolve. So it was really really cool. remarkable. How very exciting, and, and I can understand why you can't talk about the specifics of it. But of course, you know, I'm sure we all want to. We're dying to know now. So well, so but I can give can... you some general stuff. So for example, <laughs> okay. like. Um, you know, uh, how much supervision should a, should a particular type of certificate have? Like a BCBA, okay. when they're getting their supervision uh, supervision hours before they take the test, well, what should what should those supervision hours look like? How many should they have to have? Uh, what kind of activities are appropriate for them to do during those supervision right. hours? Um, what type of supervisor is appropriate to give uh, you know the supervision to that person? All of these are um, are questions where policy exists right now, and about every five years, all of these aspects of every policy. Policy and in the professional uh, certification of behavior analyst gets revisited every five years or so to make sure that it's it's always an evolving and improving process. Well, I love that because we know we talk about EF things all the time here on the show and about the fact that if we want to achieve a goal, one of the things we have to do is be checking to make sure that what we're doing is actually working. And exactly. so here's a great example of how they're walking their talk. Yeah, yeah, it really is. And uh, and what's neat about it is the general trend, um, and I think this is probably true for any professional discipline, but the general trend has been an increase in standards over time. So 
uh, making uh, making the standards more strict, more mm -hmm. rigorous. So pe people need more training. They need more coursework. Um, the um, the qualifications for what actually makes something good training or good uh, experience right. becomes more and more strict over time. So we're sort of letting few and few stinkers slip past the goal. You know what I mean? Well, and we know that quality ABA is really the th you know I when I think about when I came into this arena and I didn't know anything about ABA and then I knew about ABA and then I knew how important it was for kids on the autism spectrum to get ABA and then in the last two years I've seen how essential it is that it's got to be quality ABA. Absolutely. That that's all I talk about anymore is not just ABA. It's very been a very interesting shift for me, the mm -hmm. necessity mm -hmm. to talk about the difference between just ABA and quality ABA it's when we're talking about autism. Critical. It's absolutely it is. Um, and, and it's it's wonderful that we're seeing, you know, this growth in the field, and that there are more and more BCBAs, and that there are more and more therapists that are out there that to that are supposedly trained to work in the field of autism. But it becomes more and more the impetus is on us as consumers to make sure that what we're getting is really the good that's stuff. That's right. That's right. And that's hard, uh, I think, for a lot of people because if you don't know what it looks like, how do you know whether you of got course. a good one? Of course. <laughs> yeah. Of course. If you're a first-time parent or a first-time yeah. consumer of behavior analytic services, how are you supposed to know? Oh, right. And there isn't anything more important to us because what happens when you don't have quality ABA is you lose time. That's right. And none of us have that. That's right. To lose. And you lose hope too because you're True. getting treatment supposedly, but yeah. what you see is real minimal outcomes. Sometimes kids even get worse if you really are incompetent. Um, and uh, of course, all that makes you do is think like, okay, great, we've tried and it doesn't work. Right. And it's just terrible. And I have met those families. It's, Me too. Uh, it's the thing that makes you cry more than anything else. We're really out of time, but I want to say thank you to you for being here. We'll it's have you back. Next week, I want to take a second to talk about what is happening next week. Now, next week, we had originally hoped that we were going to be going to Indianapolis for uh, the Autism Society of America's annual conference. That didn't work out, but we're going to attend it virtually with you by we're having a lot of different guests from some of our normal guests and more on top of that and more from the ASA convention. So here's a list. On Tuesday, we're going to be talking about travel, inclusion travel, uh, with uh, an, a travel agent who specifically books things for people with special needs that they can travel effectively. How fabulous is that? We're going to have Lars Perner with us from the Autism Society Conference. We're going to have Katie Palmer from GRASP with us. And Dina Booth is going to be talking with us about autism and how to prepare kids for middle school when they're on the autism spectrum. On Wednesday, we're going to show the anxiety show with Dr. Tar uh, not Dr. Tarbucks, mm -hmm. Dr. Grampache, excuse me. We're going to have Jenny Palmiato from autism, Love and Autism and Dr. Jim Ball from the Autism Society is going to be with us. Then on Thursday, Dr. Tarbox will be back. We're also going to have Dr. Adele Nadowski. Kevin Custer is going to be talking with us about high-tech things that work in autism. And we're also going to have race car driver Jason Cherry with us talking about what he's doing to raise awareness for autism. And ladies and gentlemen, there's a possibility that we will also have an extra special guest on Thursday as well. I don't want to give it away, but it'll blow your mind. So all of that and ever so much more next week. It's a jam-packed week full of fun things. Make sure you're here with us. Until then, as I always say, please give your kiddos a hug from me and one for you this week too. All right, bye-bye for now.